Hey Bulldogs, it's Annie, and welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Tassel. I'm a marketing major of DeSales class of 2023, and I'm excited to be hosting this podcast with the purpose of reconnecting with our alumni and informing DSU students about the endless possibilities beyond graduation. Get ready to be inspired by the stories of our alumni and learn valuable insights from their career journeys. Now it's time to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Tassel. I'm here today with today's guest, Kyle Cromer, graduate of the class of 2014 as a nursing major. Kyle is currently employed as a flight nurse for the Lehigh Valley Health Network, and Kyle also works in the cardiac intensive care unit. He's a paramedic for the Valley Community Ambulance, and he is commissioned in the U.S. Air Force Reserve as a flight nurse. So without further ado, Kyle, please introduce yourself and describe your experience at DeSales and how you got to where you are today. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, as Anna Maria said, uh, my name's Kyle, gave a nice little introduction there. Um, I came to DeSales uh, right out of high school. I was fortunate enough to be able to transition right to college um, after I finished my high school studies. And it was kind of a no-brainer. Um, DeSales is a local, uh, University to the Lehigh Valley, which is where I've resided my entire life and worked with two very um, strong networks and hospital networks, St. Luke's and both Lehigh Valley. Um, so when I was evaluating where I wanted to go for nursing school, it was an easy pick because I could stay local and work with two, like I said, very strong hospitals. Uh, my experience at the sales uh, was actually really good. Um, helped build a foundation for where I needed to be today. Um, taught me how to be organized, uh, well-versed, uh, active, not just in my class participation, but in work-related uh, duties and also in community uh, outreach as well. Um, taught me a lot of independence um, too, because I did stay at DeSales, even though I was local, I stayed on campus. And that was extremely beneficial coming from high school where everything's more guided for you. And now you have more self-responsibility. Um, so with all of that kind of mixed together and the outreach they had on campus uh, really left me with a great experience that when I transitioned from my college um, studies into my real world job following graduation actually made it an extremely easy uh, transition to start my career. Uh, and that foundation and that how they kept you involved in so many different activities continued following graduation to the point where I kept myself involved in multiple activities and duties outside of um, outside of my primary role as a nurse at the hospital. Um, so, like I said, it was it was a great experience. I loved everybody I was able to interact with there, and um, come back to visit every so often to see some some friends and uh, uh, teachers, instructors that I've uh, made over the years. What kind of clubs and activities were you involved with here at DeSales? So uh, as far as clubs, the first thing I joined when I got onto campus was they used to have a emergency response team on campus that was student run, developed um, by Ryan Hay. So he's actually one of my coworkers at Lehigh Valley Health Network now too. Um, so I joined up because I knew him uh, and started participating in that, which ex uh, eventually transitioned into me becoming a captain director role within, um, within DeSales EMS on campus. Um, we did a lot of conferences. It was out to Harrisburg, up into the Poconos um, with them. So we got a lot of outreach. I got to see a lot of how other universities ran um, their organizations as well. 
Um, I worked in career services. Uh, so I actually worked with Kristen <laughs> uh, when she first came to, um, to sales. So she picked me up as a, as a freshman <laughs> and I stayed with her for four years, uh, which was awesome because not only, you know, did you have the work study, but you got to interact with so many uh, employers throughout the Lehigh Valley um, throughout my, um, throughout my uh, work study there. And even though uh, nursing is kind of unique in the way that well, people look and they're like, well, I get a nursing degree and I become a nurse. I don't, I don't need to network because a hospital is going to hire me, uh, you know, so I don't need to know other employees within the Lehigh Valley. But you'd be amazed to find the opportunities you can, you can gather or get um, or what doors can be opened by just meeting, you know, people outside of the hospital itself, because there's a lot involved in healthcare outside of just your role as a nurse. And if you ever want to move on from, from doing bedside nursing into any more management roles, um, marketing, uh, sales, anything like that, a lot of companies work within the network as well. So it's awesome to have um, those resources and, and, and networking um, because down the road, uh, you never know who you may want to work with because as a nurse and having your bachelor's, you can pretty much get into any uh, job industry um, outside, of, outside of being a nurse, which is awesome. Um, other activities on campus, I did a lot of the intramural sports, uh, so I was fortunate to have uh, roommates and um, suite mates that were very active, so we did a lot of the intramural sports on campus, which you know, kept, me, kept me active as well. Then my junior year, I joined the Student Nursing Association and was, uh, sorry, senior year rather, and was um, vice president to the president, uh, Andrew Sanabria, which was one of our other nursing majors, um, which allowed us to get a lot more involved with um, our nursing administration and employers outside of the network to try to set up resources for our current students. Um, besides working all of that on campus, I still maintained a volunteer position uh, outside of campus at Emmaus Ambulance. So on weekends, I would typically go there just to get a a different uh, medical experience outside of nursing school because it allowed me to practice, you know, the skills we were uh, getting or going over and assessments in nursing school on real live patients in emergency situations, which was was great to stay involved with that too. It seems that you've been very dedicated and knew that this is, you know, something that you really wanted to do, even in undergrad, very strongly or very passionate about it, which is really nice and. All of your involvement, you think, is the reason that you landed such a great job? Because obviously, especially flight nurse is very competitive. What could you tell us about how competitive that job is? And how did you how do you think that you got that position? <laughs> yeah, so flight nursing is very unique because uh, we have about uh, 16, 17 nurses staffed uh, within our department at Lehigh Valley. And you think... In ICU, um, when I worked in the cardiac intensive care unit, we had about uh, 40 nurses staffed just for one unit, um, and we only have 17 at Medevac. So you think the network in a whole, uh, as far as their nursing staffing, is extremely high, um, and we have such a small department in that mix. So it is very competitive. It requires a lot of certifications and a lot of training, um, but I did start out very young. Uh, when I was looking at what I wanted to be when I grow up, you know, as a kid, you say, oh, you want to be a firefighter, police officer, you find those, you know, those community roles that are appealing to a younger child. 
Uh, and then it transitioned to in the medical field um, where I wanted to be a pediatrician because interacting with a doctor as I was growing up, you know, immunizations, well visits, um, I really liked how they were helping people. Uh, and then my mom was also a nurse at the network. So I went in and shadowed her uh, in the hospital one day and she took me out to see the helicopter. And I remember because I was 10 years old and she actually still has a picture of me sitting in the back of the helicopter with one of the flight nurses helmets on, who's actually my direct supervisor now. And uh, I'm sitting in the back oh. of the helicopter with his helmet. And I was like, from that day, I was like, you know what, that's what I want to do. Um, and I was 10 years old. And as I progressed through my life, my dream was to chase that goal. And I was going to get there, uh, <laughs> no matter the obstacles I had to face. So um, I started out getting my EMT when I was 16, um, work, you know, volunteered with that. Uh, when I finished graduating, I um, went straight into, uh, well, I started with progressive care and then transitioned to the ICU because intensive care is where they would like to see you get experience. While I was working full-time in the hospital, I actually went and got my paramedic license, which was for pre-hospital registered nurse, uh, which was a six-month uh, course outside of uh, the hospital through a program called Emergency Medical Institute. Um, so I went through that. And then after I finished that class, I continued to work part-time as a paramedic for Emmaus Ambulance and then full-time as a registered nurse in the hospital yet. Between all of that, I still had to get a couple more certifications to really uh, stand out when applying into medevac. So I continued to chase other certifications that won't really get into uh, too much because um, uh, there are a lot of just little things that, that they like to see. Um, and as you progress through your career, you can find out or network and, and they'll tell you. Um, but, but I made sure I, I built up my resume uh, enough in that meantime to show that I was really making an effort to get into this career. Uh, in the meantime, I reached out and I networked with a lot of people at the hospital. The conferences we went to when I was in EMS at DeSales, I met uh, high network um, administrators um, and actually the director of medevac at these conferences and stayed in touch with them while I was transitioning to that role. And every year I'd send an email, hey, this is what I did in the last year. This is what I'm trying to do next year. Do you have any advice? What else should I really try to focus on? Um, because I want to work with, I want to work for you guys. And at that point, I didn't have the experience. I was young. I was fresh out of college. But every year I kept on them and they'd give me advice and I would follow the advice they had given. And then when I was 25 years old, um, they actually reached out to me and said they had an open position and asked me if I wanted to apply for the open position. So I was kind of lucky that <laughs> they reached out to me because I wasn't even watching. I assumed I needed more experience or they'd like to see more experience yet. Now I had a little over four years of experience in the hospital as a nurse and I over three years experience um, in the intensive care unit as well as working as a paramedic the entire time too. So I had a good amount of experience and um, over the years I guess they recognized that and reached out to me to apply for a position. So knowing what I wanted to do and staying involved with my own education and my career path definitely helped um, put me in that because medevac um, we have a few amount of employees and we have some nurses there that have been there for 30, 35 years. So not always a lot of turnover. Um, now we're seeing a little more turnover than they used to uh, because of 
just the healthcare climate as a whole right now. Um, but most people tend to really love the job and stay. So, so it's hard to find an open position at times. So you want to make sure that you have all of your education and time collected. So when there is a position, you stand out above um, other people who are applying into the role. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head with the importance of networking. And it's really about who you know and getting your name in there and keeping it in there and staying in contact because employers find that to be most valuable, having those real connections and really knowing somebody and their experiences and then continuing to follow up. Like they're very interested. They really want to work for us. So let's, you know, bring them on. And um, I think that's pretty you know, something that not everybody does. So it gives you that competitive edge that, you know, not everybody's going to keep in contact as much as you did. And as, and, you know, you're going to be person that gets that position and they can see your dedication. So very important. Um, so let's talk a bit about, you know, what is your day to day as a flight nurse kind of like, like, I know you've said that you work a lot of night shifts, right? So what are some of the major responsibilities and what do, what is, you know, your day-to-day -day kind of look like? Uh, so our day-to-day -day is very unique compared to nursing uh, inpatient. Uh, nursing inpatient, you come into, uh, I worked in the ICU, so we'd walk into the ICU and you look at a board in the front and they assign you two patients or two rooms, uh, depending on this, you know, how many beds are covered in the hospital. And you walk over, you sign into the computer, and you start taking care of those two patients. At Medevac, we're an on-call position. We're not, we don't know how many patients we're going to have for the day. We're not going to know who needs our help. Um, so we get in, we get signed in, and we'll go through our aircraft. We'll make sure all of our equipment is functioning properly. Our aircraft is completely stocked. We have paperwork for the day, and all of our medications are, are up to date and not expired. And we have a chore just to make sure all of our equipment kind of gets serviced and gone through thoroughly um, throughout the week as well. So we'll complete a little chore, which sometimes will be, you know, again, going through the aircraft, every fine detail to make sure even items we don't use often are in the aircraft and stocked properly. Um, same with medications, bags to ensure, again, we're staying on top of everything because the last thing we want to do is fly somewhere and not have a piece of equipment that is essential to our care. So we'll do that, then we'll sign in for a morning call, and we have four helicopters, and we'll talk to each base to see what their aircraft status is for the day, what the weather's looking like for the day, and if there's any events going on that we might see an aircraft out of service and may have to relocate our helicopter to cover their area, um, or if everybody's in service, ready to go for the day, and we're just going to be based where we are. At that point, it's a waiting game. Um, we can get dispatched either by local ambulance squads. So patients or ambulance squads to the north of uh, Lehigh Valley Health Network up in the Poconos up near Hazleton and Pottsville. Uh, those hospitals don't have a lot of resources. So when um, uh, somebody calls 911, if they're having a heart attack and they can confirm it with an EKG, the ambulance, instead of taking them to Pottsville where they don't have a cath lab and can get um, a clot removed, they'll call for an L a helicopter and they'll land us in the middle of a field or at somebody's house or you know even sometimes they'll come to our base and we'll fly the patient directly down to Cedar Crest or up to Geisinger Danville from Pottsville for example um, whichever is closer 
So that way, instead of them having an hour drive to get to the hospital, we're going to get their, them there in about 15 minutes. So it really cuts down the amount of time that they're suffering from um, that sort of uh, disease uh, to help increase you know, um, their outcome or better their outcome uh, in the long run. Uh, so that's one way we get dispatched. Uh, second is hospital hospital. So say somebody walked into um, Pottsville with some sort of traumatic injury or, or came in and they were having a stroke and same thing, the hospital doesn't have um, comprehensive stroke care. They can give certain medications for strokes and treat strokes, but um, sometimes you're going to need, uh, you're going to need a neurologist, potential uh, interventional radiology or, or a neurosurgeon. So then the hospital will request us to come over and pick up the patient and fly them down to Cedar Crest to cut down time um, until the patient would get to Cedar Crest. Uh, the other option too is patients who are very critical and very sick who need to go down for other specialties like dialysis or um, pulmonologists and cardiologists and a more invasive team than what they have at some of these hospitals. They'll call Medivac because uh, we do have a nurses who are ICU trained um, as well as critical care flight paramedics. Then we carry ventilators, pumps, uh, and a lot of other medications that a normal ambulance would not carry. And then we can monitor A-lines, which uh, ambulances wouldn't do, um, different um, devices, VACs, um, uh, to assist the patient on the way down. So instead of kind of uh, reducing the patient's care to get to the hospital, we can go and we can continue every therapy they already had going on in the ICU in the helicopter and get them down quick. That way it limits the amount of time the patient could potentially have something go wrong outside of the hospital where there's limited resources. So if none of those options come through or nobody calls us, we can have a relatively boring day. Um, we sit in essentially an apartment. We get a bedroom, we have a full kitchen, couch, TV, uh, computer access, uh, and we really become a tight-knit family or close-knit family um, because we're living with two other people, a pilot and, in my case, a paramedic, for sometimes a whole day because we work 24-hour shifts. Um, so we do become very close in that regards. A lot of times we bring food in and we'll cook with each other um, just to help pass the time. Uh, but we also have a lot of training we have to keep up with. So even though you might, well, if you don't have anything all day, you know, it makes the job really easy. Well, not necessarily because we do have to maintain a lot of certifications and in maintaining those certifications, it requires a lot of education hours. So we spend a lot of time on the computer doing online training. Uh, we have mannequins in our bases where we can practice our intubations and practice different care that again, we don't utilize too often um, to make sure that we're really honed in on those skills. So if somebody does call, um, we're ready to go. Um, so we do have a lot that we have to keep up on. So if we're not busy patient care wise, um, we do have a lot of logistical and operational stuff um, to manage, but it can be very unique because if we don't have a call and we're on 24 hour periods, we will rest and we, we do get to sleep at work to make sure that if we get a flight, um, we're not tired, we're not making mistakes because we, we can't focus. And especially with flying, not only do we have to worry about a patient and, and their medical care, we're up in the air with other airplanes, like we're not driving down the highway. Um, and if something goes wrong, now we have to go into an emergency procedure uh, to get back onto the ground. So not only do we have to focus on our responsibilities in providing care for the patient, but we have to be aware of helicopter operations. So we actually get certified as, or not, it's not a certification, but classified as 
flight crew members. So instead of being just a passenger, we're physical flight crew through the helicopter operation company as well. So we have a lot of training with them too. So there's a lot to focus on. So we have to make sure we're constantly up on our education training, um, which adds to, to, um, to our daily duties. Very intense, lot like a very high level of stress in this position. Um, what could you tell us about the kind of skills that a flight nurse yourself, anybody looking to be a flight nurse, what kind of skills are necessary for this position? And tell like talk about the teams, like you know, the groups that you're working with, and you know, just kind of like more so the soft skills, like being very calm and you know, those kind of skills. Yeah, so it could be a very uh, high stress, uh, high stimulating uh, job. And probably one of the most important things for our job is uh, critical thinking and independence. Um, when we leave the hospital, we no longer have resources. I can't walk over to a doctor or a respiratory therapist and run a situation by them. We can call down to the hospital, but if we call down in the helicopter, we're gonna to talk to somebody in the emergency department who might not be receiving the patient and won't know anything about the patient. So then we have to explain everything that's happened to the patient, current medications, and then ask for advice. And if it's somebody outside of the ER or going to an ICU, they may be hesitant to offer some advice because they're not sure the whole picture of what's happening. So we're very, um, we're very on our own once we leave that hospital. So we have to be able to, to think independently to manage um, a patient. You have to be very uh, comfortable with your skills and confident in your skills um, too. Um, a lot of times if somebody uh, goes downhill quick um, or is declining, you don't have time to, to sit and ponder. You have to be able to react. You have to be able to manage right away, make changes um, before it's too late. So being comfortable with how you're managing patients, how you're taking care of patients is extremely key because again, if somebody's declining, I have to be able to quick, hey, this is what I need to add. This is what I need to do differently. For, you know, as I just recapping before it's too late. And those are big things. On top of the fact is we have to be able to brush off things relatively easily. Um, we respond to a lot of traumas, not just adults, but pediatrics. Um, newborns, NICU, um, babies as well. So we see a lot of different aspects of healthcare. And with traumas, you know, it's not somebody who hasn't taken care of themselves for years and was slowly declining. Um, it's something acute that quickly happened and say a healthy person. And if we have a very rough call and uh, if the outcome wasn't good, we have to be able to be pretty resilient because when we get back in the helicopter, we'll be back in service and somebody else could call you know, for an aircraft, and we have to be able to respond and continue to take care of somebody else. Um, now, certain situations, our department does allow us to call timeouts, and we can go back, take a break if we have to debrief, um, or whatever else we, we want to do. They do supply a lot of um, uh, access to counseling, if we ever do want it, depending on what we're responding to. Um, but we have to continue to, to stay resilient um, as we go through, because if we ponder calls that have already passed, uh, it could affect how we provide care to, to people in the future. Um, and the last little bit that, that we really do is, um, is being self-aware of our skills. Um, so once we get into our role, we can't forget that you have to continue learning. So a lot of times or what I like to do when we drop patients off, if it's something I'm not 
uh, familiar with because I worked cardiac. So say it's a neuro patient that I'm not familiar with the exact neuro process. Um, I'll hang out at bedside for a little bit and talk to the doctor after we drop the patient off and say, here, here's my thought process. This is what I did. What would you do as a neurologist or what are your recommendations? What can we change with the resources we have? And then we'll sit and have a discussion post-flight. So that way, the next time I respond to a neuro patient, I have better information or, or you know, a better um, scope of what they would like to see done uh, to help the patient in the future. And I think a lot of people get caught up when they finish school. They're like, well, I have my degree. That's kind of the last I had to learn. But in healthcare, there's always more information you can learn. And, and being self-aware that um, that you need to continue to educate yourself as practices change is extremely important too. Absolutely. With a, a lot of things though, you know, you know, you have the degree under your belt, but you never stop learning. And it's important that you continue to further your education. I was going to ask, beside the offering counseling and everything, how else do you deal with your stress and the intensity of your job? And how would, how do you com- decompress after a long, intense shift or um, a lot of high stimulation. So I'm very active outside of work. Um, uh, even though I do work a lot of hours because I have multiple jobs, um, I try to make the most out of my home life and my personal life um, when I do uh, leave work. What's nice about nursing or our job and, and a lot of other roles in nursing is when we clock out, that's the end of our day. Uh, I don't get phone calls at home saying, hey, there's a patient that, <laughs> that's declining in the ICU because it's, you know, they have other people there to take care of those patients and to do that job. So once we clock out, it can, it's an out of sight, out of mind, you know, so you leave work behind and you go home and focus on your home life. So uh, in the summers, I golf a lot um, and actually go out with some coworkers, um, which is nice because it's people who also do our job. So if we had something weird or a rough call or situation, we can decompress in a more relaxed environment. So instead of sitting at work and being in the confined, you know, space of, you know, um, our job, we can, you know, play over around a golf and say, Hey, I had this, you know, what are your thoughts? And, and we can joke and laugh and, you know, have a good time. And it's an easier way to let off that, um, those concerns or that stress. Uh, than, than doing it just at work or in a, you know, quieter or, you know, formal environment. Um, on top of it, I, I water ski, I water uh, tube in the summer, wakeboard, um, in, I go deep sea fishing in the winter, I snowboard and ski. Uh, I also started going for my uh, pilot license as well. <laughs> so I fly airplanes for fun, <laughs> which gives me something to focus on outside of work too. Um, because even though I focus a lot on my education, I want to make sure that I don't forget to have fun. Um, so outside of work, I can continue to educate, educate myself on other topics. Um, and then with now the Air Force too, allows me to expand and see you know different uh, different areas of the world. Um, the Air Force is a lot of humanitarian missions, so uh, I like to call it feel good stuff. So it's you know you you feel like you're really making um, that difference and makes you kind of. I respect the, the rewarding, um, you know, that rewarding side of your job. Um, cause we'll fly not only, you know, you know, in the U S but also, um, they'll fly missions in other countries to help with, uh, evacuation with natural disasters, you know, earthquakes, hurricanes, etc. Um, so you get a lot more feel good, um, stuff with that. So it's just making sure like, you know, with all the stress in our job that, 
you do have outlets when you do leave work. Um, you don't want to go home and and kind of sit sit around and and contemplate or or dwell on you know kind of uh, you know your job. You want to go out and and focus on your personal life because when you go back, you can you can always sit and 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 talk to coworkers there, but. Um, you have to separate or learn to separate yourself from that job sometimes when you come home. Um, so that way you don't carry that stress week after week. Um, I was going to ask you, did you have to go through basic training to be a flight nurse in the Air Force? So I'm still in the middle of my training because I started the process for the Air Force last May. Uh, okay. It wasn't something I always thought I was going to do. Um, I wanted to do something in the military and reached out to multiple recruiters while I was in college and really didn't find a position that I thought would suit me well. Um, finally found a position um, that I thought would I could transition into relatively easily and I would enjoy. Um, some new, but I won't be going to basic training. I'll be going to officer training school. So when you have a degree and you come into the military, uh, following uh, obtaining a bachelor's degree, you get commissioned as an officer versus being enlisted. A lot of plus sides to that because when you come in enlisted, you don't, you can't, you pick your job, but you're not always guaranteed a particular job. You'll take a test called an ASVAB and they'll rank uh, your score and positions that fit that score. And then you can kind of pick from those position, uh, those positions first, second, third choice. So once you finish basic training, they'll say, okay, your first choice we didn't have, what do you want to do? Um, and, and potentially get slotted into something else. Uh, when you come in as an officer, I'm, get, I'm coming in for the position I want. So I discussed with a recruiter, I'm already qualified for that position from a medical standpoint. Um, so they're going to do all the paperwork and file everything to set me up to get into the unit I want to be in. Um, being in the reserves, I pick my base, so I know I'm not going to be going out to California uh, right after I sign my contract. So you have a lot more uh, negotiation abilities coming in as an officer, which is nice, and you don't get shipped out right away. So I still I still maintain my current job or multiple jobs. Um, still, I'm home with my family, you know, in the house, and then I'll just get training dates throughout the next couple, you know, months to years um, to go away. So I'll go to officer training school on top of um, survival training, uh, air, aircraft operation training, another medical training just to make sure I'm familiar with air equipment um, and procedures. Um, and then there's other certifications and things they'll go through with you following that are more that you can focus on with your squadron and not necessarily leave because the other trainings I'll have to go out of state for. Aside from the Air Force, just like as a flight nurse in general, um, anything that, you know, was kind of like, like very successful and like, you know, you provided the best care for the patient and everything was okay. We had a, a truck accident all the way up uh, north on Interstate 80. And when we had gotten there, um, the patient was still trapped in the front of the truck. Um, and a lot of times they bring the patients to the helicopter. We don't go to where the car accident necessarily is. Because uh, we won't land on the highway because if our helicopter, for whatever reason, breaks down, they don't want a helicopter in the middle of the highway. <laughs> so we typically land somewhere off of the highway and then an ambulance will bring a patient to us. Um, and this guy, once we landed there, they said, oh, it's going to be a while till they get him out of the truck. And it's like, OK, so we wait a little bit. And it's like, well, if somebody can come pick us up, we'll go down and help uh, at the scene. So one of the fire department um, trucks came up, we loaded all of our equipment in and we went down um, to the truck 
to assist with getting the guy um, out of the truck because a lot can go wrong when you're trapped in a vehicle for a while. And especially if certain, your bone and muscle is crushed and you're not getting blood flow to there, your body starts build, building up toxic you know, um, chemicals and acids. And when you get that person out of that vehicle, it's gonna change the body's composure um, uh, when they get out and they can actually die as a result of just getting them out of the vehicle. And they could be talking to you up until that point. Um, so we have a lot of medications interventions we can do to counter that as we get them out. Um, so going to the scene really helps us participate in that aspect of care. Um, but the guy was not doing well, had a lot of fractures, um, rib, uh, spine, uh, leg fractures, uh, hip fractures. He had abdominal bleeding. Um, he had punctures in his lungs from uh, his fractures as well. But he was still talking to us when we got there. Well, by the time we got him out of the truck, it took a while and got him into the ambulance. Um, he was talking to us, but we're really concerned he wouldn't be okay for the entire flight. So we electively um, put him under or sedated um, and paralyzed the patient so we could put in a breathing tube and really manage how he's breathing, uh, how he's oxygenating, and then we could add um, fluids or, or pressors to maintain his other hemodynamic status um, as well. And then we had to uh, do interventions or complete interventions to re help re-expand his lungs um, too. Um, so everything we did, um, we quick did before we got in the helicopter um, to fly him down to Cedar Crest and, and in like 16 minutes to get down to Cedar Crest, which is a lot quicker than, than we would have in an ambulance um, and got him down. And he had a very prolonged um, admission. He was from Florida because uh, he was driving tractor trailer just in the area. So it was one of the patients I really followed up on because I wanted to see, you know, when we do care, was it right? Did, did I identify, you know, everything that they had wrong? Um, did I treat the patient right? Um, did I make the appropriate decisions? So I followed up and was surprised to see how well he was doing based on the injuries he had sustained and um, actually went down and visited him in our trauma ICU probably about two months after his truck accident. And he was awake and talking and actually getting up and out of bed. And he didn't remember me, which I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't bother me that he remembers. I wouldn't expect him to remember. Um, but it was just a uh, good closure, you know, because you see the pa patient who was very, you know, very sick, very ill. And again, interacted with before, you know, um, you know, while he was still awake and talking, and then we made decisions to do things because say he doesn't make it through his clinical course, the last thing he was awake and remembered was us telling him that we were going to do everything we could to help him. Um, so it's just closure knowing that, you know, they, it, it's successful and they're going to leave the hospital and, and, and go on. And um, he went back to Florida because his wife was up with him and she stayed up in the Lehigh Valley for months while he was in the hospital here. And I know he got discharged home and I'm assuming went back to Florida and, you know, don't know where he is today, <laughs> but I hope he's doing well. Um, so that's a good, you know, one of those, you know, more feel good, you know, where you have a very critical patient and you, you don't necessarily think the outcome is going to be good, um, but, um, but did have uh, a, a very successful story. And um, it's not, necessarily our care <laughs> that did it. I mean, received a lot of surgeries in the hospital, a lot of phenomenal care um, down at the hospital as well. Um, so it's just bringing that, you know, everybody, you know, from the fire department and EMS agency that called us, us, the trauma teams, the nurses, respiratory therapists, physical therapy, and occupational therapy, the whole team. It's just 
cool to see how the patient was able to start to finish transition through the hospital and go home. Um, so that's one that kind of stands out that, you know, was really, you know, really turned out, turned out well. And that was early in my career at Medivac. So, so it definitely helps having those um, because you're like, we are making a difference some days. Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. That that's kind of what I was gearing toward kind <laughs> of like success stories that you had um, that they, they're all pretty intense stories, but especially when you're given that validation that what you're doing is um, you're doing good and you're helping people. And yes, it's a lot of people involved, but that's, what's also very uh, inspiring about our health network, especially in the Lehigh Valley is just that it's amazing at like LVHN and all, and just in this area. So and St. Thank Luke's you too. For, yeah, and St. Luke's too, yes. That's awesome. And thank you for, you know, being a flight nurse and being in the position you are to help people because it's not for everybody. And that's what's really inspiring. Last question is, do you have any advice for students who would like to pursue a career as a flight nurse and or in the military? Yeah, um, I can. I mean, it's making sure uh, you just stay on top of your stuff and keep that drive. So if you know what you want to do, make sure you're you're networking. And we touched on it earlier how important networking is. It cannot tell you enough um, where you can get from just having a simple conversation with somebody um, because you never know who you're talking to. You never know their their life experiences, their job. Um, so it never hurts to have a friend. Um, and even um, getting into the Air Force, uh, when I started with that, I reached out to the chief flight nurse of the squadron I'm in and um, asked, you know, hey, can I come down to the base and tour the base or see what you guys do? And he said in all of his years and his 22 years as a flight nurse and, and being down there, he doesn't think anybody has ever come down and done a base tour before they signed and took a contract, um, which to him said really stood out because um, it showed that I had interest in actually learning of what they do, you know, for the job. So when I take the job or if I'm offered a job, they know I actually want to be there and I'm not doing it for, um, for other reasons outside of, you know, being a part of the team. Um, so that's, that's my biggest takeaway is just, just making sure you reach out, talk to people, form relationships and friendships, um, because it really helps transition from job to job. And, Again, I'm not going to want to be a flight nurse for, for 30 years because there's going to come a time where I don't want to be climbing in and out of helicopter. I don't want to work 24-hour shifts. Um, so there's going to be a transition period sometime. And at this stage of my life, a flight nurse is all I ever wanted to be. So I don't know what I want to be when I grow up now because um, <laughs> I always was driving for one thing. Um, but with talking to people over the years, I find... Uh, other positions where nurses can get into that I'm like, you know what, that might actually be really cool. And it's something I never thought about before. But with talking to somebody and learning about them, um, it just opens up a lot more opportunity um, um, for yourself. And again, especially in healthcare, just never stop learning. Um, I'll tell any of my new orientees that ignorance is the worst form of medicine. Because um, the day you think you know everything about the medical field is the day you should probably retire. Um, there's always so much to learn. There's so many different practices and therapies changing and staying on top of that, it will make you an extremely good provider and will really stand you out um, to, other, um, to other nurses who are working in the hospital. And again, if you stand out, maybe where you want to go or maybe where you want to end up, they'll end up reaching out to you um, um, to get into that position uh, like I was fortunate enough to have. So um, 
So if anybody ever has any interest in doing any of it or just has questions about the hospital in general, we, we, um, we work with the OR, ER, you know, ICUs. Um, we work with Pocono and Schuylkill and Pottsville. We work with St. Luke's a lot and Geisinger and Westchester Medical Center in New York and CHOP and UPenn. So even if you don't want to end up at Lehigh Valley or you don't want to do medevac, but you have questions about the medical field or just different life experiences, piloting, um, anything, um, you know, you can feel free to reach out to me um, as well, because I never mind uh, talking. And you can go to the Career Development Center. Still, every so often, keep in touch uh, with Kristen as well. So she can definitely get my contact information um, and get it to me. And I, I never mind um, helping people out because I was in a place where I needed to help at one point and people guided me throughout my career. So the least I could do is offer that back out to everybody else. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. Thanks for being a guest on the show today. And I'm sure that our vast student um, nursing population here at DeSales will appreciate all of the insight and everything you've shared with us today. So we wish you the best in your career. And again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah not a problem. It was great talking to you today. Thank you once again for tuning in to today's episode of Beyond the Tassel. It is our honor to present the success stories of our DeSales alumni via podcast. If you are a DeSales alumni and would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact melanie.valone at desales.edu. And if you are currently a DeSales student and would like to connect with an alumni in your field, you can contact kathy.kraus at desales.edu. Until next time, Bulldogs.